For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, established and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this gift of your Son. We thank you that he is living and alive in us and with us this morning. Lord, as we, as we open your word this morning and, and look to what you have to say to your people this morning, we, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would breathe into this living word. Lord, we want to be opened and we want you to change us and renew us and align us more with you and your ways. We pray as your people, called by your name, saved by your Son. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Over the last uh, couple of weeks now, well, actually starting last week, we started this series looking at this passage in Isaiah chapter 9. And we've got some of the names of Jesus here, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we're just going to be working through them until we get to Christmas and we're actually going to land on Christmas Day uh, looking at Jesus as Prince of Peace. Last week, if you remember, uh, Graham spoke to us about what it means to serve a God who is the wonderful counsellor and uh, that was a, um, a powerful message of, of God's uh, wisdom and his work uh, in our lives as well. Today we're looking at this, um, this next phrase, mighty God. And uh, the claim of mighty God in regards to Jesus uh, it really shocked the world, uh, shocked, shocked God's people at the time and, and shocked the world. Mighty God. Now, as we, we're going to look into this a little bit more and, and uh, sometimes what we do is we actually look back at the, um, at the original language when it's, when it's actually helpful. Graham did that last week and I'm going to do that again this week. Uh, it's, a, it's really not something that's overly uh, difficult. Uh, one, of, one of the things that you can do is simply type in Isaiah 9, uh, chapter 6 into Google and uh, put in he, write the name Hebrew beside that and it will bring up uh, a table of both the English and then the, the Hebrew beside it. And you can click on that and it'll give you some definitions and everywhere else it's, um, it's used in Scripture to give you a really good idea of that word. So, uh, uh, one of the things that I am hesitant to do is to actually uh, sometimes go back to the original language because it can give the impression that if we, if we don't know that or if we don't use that all the time, then somehow we're, we're skimming over on the surface. Um, but that so often uh, isn't the truth. So often God, uh, he, he uses uh, our English translations in our lives and He breathes through them. But sometimes it can be useful to go a little bit deeper, just to go, hey, with these two words, what was actually originally meant there? Is there, is there something else that we 
we don't quite, um, isn't quite coming across in the English translation here. It's just a, a fact with languages is that sometimes um, there's words in Hebrew or Greek that we, we just don't have quite the same equivalence in, um, in English. So mighty God. Uh, let's look at that, that word, the second word there first. It actually comes first in the Hebrew, which is um, God. Now, this is the Hebrew word El. And uh, this, is, this is interesting and, and important because the, the word El is just a generic term for God. Uh, it, it's not that the God is revealed to us in Jesus and through the Scriptures. It's, it's not His unique name. It's a name that was used um, by the, uh, it's, it's a Sumerian name for, for gods in plural or gods singular, and it was being used by the neighbours at the time as well. Uh, when it was used as a title, um, like the El, it's, it's the God. It's talking about the supreme God, the, the creator God. And I love the way that God and, and the, the writers of Scripture does this, he takes these common understandings of, of words or this, this common word of God which was used in the time by the people and by the surrounding peoples as well and then he starts to redefine it. He starts to bring correction and he starts to, to bring revelation and uh, he gives uh, a, real, a, a real sense and meaning of what that true God is. Uh, in a sense, God is, is like <clears throat> a missionary God. He, he acts very much like a missionary. I, I did this when I was in Togo. They had a name for their God. It was Esso. And that had been a name that they had for, for um, hundreds and thousands of years, as far as, as we know. And he was the creator God. Uh, in their mind, he was a distant God. He really didn't have much interest in um, people anymore. And what we do is we, we take that name, we, we don't insert a new name, but we take that name and we start to give shape to it. We, we, sh we start to correct and, uh, and also give revelation to who this Creator God really is. And, and now, when they use the name Esso, there's this, that they know the character of the one who they're directing that to and, uh, and, and who they're they're um, directing that worship to in the full revelation of Jesus. So that's that, uh, the first word there, El, and uh, we're actually not going to spend too much time on it because in the new year we're going to be looking at some of the names of God and we're going to look at this reality that the early uh, followers of Jesus, the early church, and right through to today, we acknowledge that Jesus wasn't just a human, that he was actually God in flesh, that, 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 that Jesus Messiah is God with us, Emmanuel. Next one is this word mighty, um, or gibor in, in Hebrew. And uh, this word has the sense of, of strong and mighty, but it, it actually has a, a little bit more of a sense, more than just mighty, it's, it's the sense of hero, or, on the other end, villain. So, so using strength and might and power, 
either for good in the sense of a hero or for bad in the sense of a, a villain. The first time that this is ever found in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 10, um, where we have this interesting character that's introduced to us called Nimrod. And uh, it was said that he was a mighty hunter, a mighty man before God. Uh, as we look throughout history, it seems that he was not a hero, but he was more of a villain. And uh, some extra-biblical sources seem to suggest that he had something to do with the Tower of Babel and, and the city of um, Babel as well. So that's the first occurrence there. And then we've, we've got many, many more times that this word is used, uh, often for a warrior, strength, power. Uh, it's used of David when David is being described to King Saul, that he is a mighty warrior. Uh, and uh, also it's used as Goliath as well, that he's a mighty warrior as well, Gibor. So as you can see, it can be used either in a, in a positive way or a negative way. It just means mighty and uh, you get to see the way in which that might is expressed. So, mighty God. In the ancient world, it's important to have a mighty God. Um, it is a, a very different world to the world that we live in today. It's important to have a mighty God uh, today, of course. But um, <clears throat> this was a world in which there really wasn't much peace. Uh, we, we are experiencing a, a time of extraordinary peace at the moment, although there's some stuff going on in Europe. Um, generally, since the end of World War II, this has been an incredible time of peace throughout the world. And uh, what we see here is that um, although, although there's, there's peace, um, that peace comes through coercive power, basically. Someone has used violence at some time, or the threat of violence, to ensure that there's peace. At the moment, it's, the, um, it's, uh, it's called Pax Americana, and uh, basically it's the American empire that is ensuring that everyone kind of stays in line. And uh, there's, there's coercive control, there's, which may not be a, a good thing or a bad thing, but it's, it's, it's the cost of peace at the moment. Uh, basically, it's this sense of, if you step in line, um, we reserve the right to use violence. So, peace is being maintained through the threat of violence. In the ancient world, um, it was just violent. Uh, you would go to sleep and you would have be often in a walled city and you would go to sleep probably worrying that uh, some army might come through that wall and take you out during the night if your army wasn't quite strong enough. Uh, this happened again and again and again. Wars and violence uh, was, was something very, very normal. So ancient people, uh, when, when they... Uh, worshipped a God or were looking for a God, often they were looking for a God to meet their felt needs. And that their immediate felt need was a God that could protect us or a God that could give us victory in war, a God that could give us um, fertility so that we would have enough sons and daughters to be able to fight and, um, and, and also that, that they would bless our fields and our, our animals and, and whatnot. So you see in the ancient world all these different gods kind of 
um, having some semblance of uh, meeting those felt needs. And God, as a, as a missionary God, as He's revealed in the Old Testament, steps in, and, and we actually see Him meeting the felt needs of the people at that time. Uh, we've got this, this land blessing. He, he blesses them with, with a land, which is, which is really important at that, that time particularly. He promises to protect them, to, um, to come against anyone that comes a, a, against His people and to bless anyone that comes in favour of His people. He promises a, a fertile land and that there, there, would, be a, there would be a multiplying of, um, of the generations. Um, can you see how, how many of these felt needs are actually being, um, being met in this missionary God that comes to a people to reveal Himself? The thing that we, we see through Scripture as it moves towards the full revelation of who God really is, especially in the person of Jesus, we see that, that the tone type of starts to change a little bit as, <clears throat> as, as God kind of works with humanity to, to take them to the place that He really wants them, and that is in a deep relationship with God the Creator. God wants us to be His, God, um, His people and Him to be our God. He wants to be in relationship with us. And we, we move a little bit away from the, the immediate um, blessings of land and protection, and, and that, that's still part of um, what we receive. But the focus becomes on this living relationship with the God of the universe um, forever. Now, when we look at Jesus being mighty and God, um, there's some rethinking that needed to happen with the people who were first hearing this. Um, probably even some rethinking that needs to happen uh, for, for someone coming um, to Christ for the first time. You see, the idea of, of Jesus being God was, was quite a stretch, and, uh, but they believed that wholeheartedly and so do we and they were willing to die for that um, but not only that Jesus is starting to show and reframe the way in which humanity sees that justice and peace will come to the world because um, <clears throat> justice and peace when 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 men want that the way we do that is through coercive control basically we, we, it's through violence and then the threat of violence that we maintain peace. And Jesus comes with a total different way. Uh, he, he uses His might in a completely different way. What we see in... Um, it's, uh, it's good to see this through the, through the lens of Peter, the, um, the Apostle Peter, the disciple of Jesus. And I love Peter because he says the things that we're often thinking. Um, and he does the things that we're often wanting to do. And, uh, and sometimes he gets some significant pushback from Jesus, doesn't he? And sometimes Jesus kind of just walks with him. And, and I love this authenticness of Peter. Uh, it, it really resonates with me, this, <clears throat> just this honesty before God. And we see that in the Psalms, we see that in Peter's life, that uh, with these questions that we have and, um, 
that we can come before God, we can come before Jesus and say, what's with this, basically? And He will guide us through, it, uh, through that and uh, sometimes he'll, he'll push back on us a little bit as well. <clears throat> this is one where, where Jesus pushes back on Peter a little bit. It's in Matthew 16, and Jesus is talking to his disciples about the reason why he has come. Uh, they're looking for a mighty uh, Messiah. Uh, mighty Messiah will be a Messiah that uses um, coercive control, basically, to put the Romans in their place, to lift Israel back into its rightful place, that peace and justice can be maintained. And basically, they're thinking the way humans always think. We do this from coercive control through violence and then the threat of violence. That's basically what was in their mind. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to do this a completely different way. I'm actually going to give my life. His, his mighty is self-sacrificial love. And he, he talks about giving his life on the cross. And Peter, um, Peter took him aside. It says, Peter took him aside and rebuked him. Imagine doing that with Jesus. Uh, he, he shares the reason why he's come with you. And I can just imagine Peter kind of saying, Jesus, uh, come with me. He kind of takes him behind a little inn. And like, what are you thinking like this, this is not, we, we want to see peace and justice here. This is not the way you do it, Jesus. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. I wonder if um, you can resonate with that. God's taking you down a certain direction and uh, our response is, never, Lord. Not that way. That's not the way we do it. We then have um, Peter again, and this is when all the events are starting to take place, and they're out in the garden, and do you remember the, um, the palace guard come to, to arrest him and take him away, and uh, he's, he's got a little sword with him, and he's a, he's a bit upset about this, and uh, again, we don't know how mighty um, Peter was, but he had his sword, and he uses that might with violence, and... It says, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, he drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. So Peter still had in his mind that the kingdom, the way we bring peace, the way we bring um, justice is through the normal way that kingdoms do that, and that is through, through violence. And it's really interesting to see what Jesus said. Um, Jesus basically says that um, if you live by the sword, Peter, you'll die by the sword. Uh, this, is, this is a commentary on humanity. It's, a, it's really a commentary on the way that we've always sought to bring peace, we've always sought to bring control, we've also always sought to bring justice, is coercive control. And, and what Jesus is basically saying, that will always fail, always fail. If you bring peace by the sword, if you bring it by violence, it will always fail. It fa failed when we had peace a relative peace with the Roman Empire, it failed when we had relative peace with the British Empire, and it's going to fail again with the relative peace that we have with the American Empire as well. There is one way that peace and justice can be brought. 
after he, after he cuts off this um, servant's ear, Jesus grabs it and puts it back on. And he says to Peter, do you not know that, that I could have called down legions of armies and they would have come and they would have dealt with this straight away? This, this, is, a, this is a meek Jesus. It is not a weak Jesus. This is, this is Jesus had, who had all the power in the world and he chooses to use it in a different way. He chooses not to use the sword, he chooses not to use coercive control, but he chooses to use love and self-sacrificial love. It's the currency of the kingdom. Paul got this. I've got it up here, 1 Corinthians 1.18 and then through to verse 23 and 24 for the message of about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. We proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. There's wisdom and there is power in the cross. There is wisdom and there is power in self-sacrifice. When um, this is the currency of the kingdom, when there is sacrificial love at play, what you have is we see this played out throughout history when, when, um, when, when the church is acting in self-sacrificial love and and the normal way of bringing peace, the normal way of bringing control comes against the church in persecution, uh, what happens is that that doesn't snuff out the church. What happens is that sacrifice and that self-sacrificial love actually um, births new growth and a new movement. This happens time and time and time again. Sacrifice, self-sacrificial love, births something new both in us and in the kingdom as well. It, um, it actually makes us look at the kingdom, uh, the Great Commission, in a, in a little bit of a different way. There's a sense in which we could say that um, the Great Commission is the mighty God declaring war. Um, but God declares war in a very different way. He says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded them. War, forged by a mighty God, in a self-sacrificial way, is very, very different. The, 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 the primary blow happened on the cross through self-sacrifice of Jesus. Instead of killing, in this war we bring a message of life, Instead of enslaving, we free. Instead of hating, we love our enemies. And instead of taking, we give of ourselves. This is the currency of the kingdom. Just um, two points before we uh, invite the team up here. Just two points of application. It's interesting when we see the foolishness of God. And uh, when those look at the example of Christ, this self-sacrificial love, it seems foolish. Um, but there, there is a movement happening right across the world as, as 
Christians act in self-sacrificial love, something, life happens. There's, there's this wisdom in, in you give your life to gain your life. This countercultural wisdom that Jesus keeps speaking into our life. God um, does stuff differently. And there will be times in our lives when we're like Peter and we're following God and we're tempted to say, God, this doesn't make sense. Uh, we're tempted to say, why are you doing it this way, God? And I, I think one of our deep responses needs to be to trust in the faithfulness and the goodness of our God, to trust that His ways are higher than our ways and He does stuff differently. But um, what I don't want you to hear there is that we should never ask those questions um, because we, we have those questions and it's, it's normal and I think what's much more healthier, what gives much more growth is if we express those questions to God. What, why, why is this happening? Why, why are you doing this? I wouldn't do it that way. And as, as, we, as we lift up our hurts and our fears and our concerns to God, He, he actually begins to work and, and, and mould us. And there's this rising of just this knowledge of the faithfulness of goodness of God in our lives and that He has it in His hands. We can trust Him. Last point of application. God is not a God. The God that's revealed to us in Jesus, which is the clearest picture of the character of God, He is not a God of coercive control. He is a God of invitation. He invites us into relationship with Him. He makes a way for that relationship to ha happen but He invites us. And that is both thrilling and wonderful, but it's terrifying at the same time. Because God will not push Himself on us. He, 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 he desires obedience, absolutely. The, the reason why God doesn't use coercive control, it would, it would be the most effective way to bring obedience. That if we did something wrong, He zapped us with progressive zapping. That would be, if, if he was interested in soul obedience, that would be the perfect way. It's been proven again and again and again. But, but that, that, that's not his primary aim. His primary aim is that we would come to love him. My, Julia didn't love me because of coercive control. <laughs> it's self-sacrifice, isn't it? sacrificial love for her. It endeared me to her. And that's how our God is as well. He, he comes to us and He doesn't coercively control us, He gives Himself for us so that we may love Him. And then what He says is, if you love me, you will obey me. Because out of love, we trust Him that what He says is right, so we align ourselves with Him and His ways, and it's good for us. It's, um, it's frightening because we can resist Him. And uh, we don't want to resist Him because He loves us and He searches for us and He invites us to Him, to worship Him and align ourselves with Him 
and what he says is good. So uh, as, the, as the team comes up, I'd invite us just to stand. Um, so we're all going to stand. I just wonder, often as we come together to hear what God is saying, um, when we come with hearts that are open to listen to God, He often will, will, there's something special that happens and He will put His hand, He'll breathe upon some words and and we will sense that God is speaking to us. I just encourage you to bring that to mind of, of wherever today God might have been speaking to you. And, uh, and, and would you just lift that up to Him? Uh, just acknowledge that, God, you've been, just say in, in, your, in your own heart, God, you've been saying this to me. And Lord, this is what I'm going to do to come into obedience with you and what you're saying to me. Well, God, thank you for that whisper into my heart this morning. So I'm just going to give us 30 seconds, a minute, and then I'm going to pray together, and then we're going to move straight into our final song, The Goodness of God. He is good and He is faithful.